welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is entitled Through My Girl a Party from the album The Complete Recordings, Volume 1 by Barbecue, a.k.a. Mark Sultan. And as you probably put two and two together, Mark Sultan is my guest today. He is, uh, you know what? Larry, owner of In The Red Records, called him one of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time. And you know what? I'm not going to fucking argue with that. He is one of my favorite rock and roll singers. And he has a bunch of great music in the Bandcamp link you can go to. He's also a part of the King Kong Barbecue Show, as you probably know. They're touring. Uh, In the show notes, there are links to the tour and all that stuff. There's also links to Mark's Bandcamp, King Kong, and Barbecue Show's Bandcamp. All of it. And there's even, just for safe measure, the link tree for the King Kong Barbecue Show. But all things Mark Sultan, all that you need to know are in the show notes. Hit the links. You could buy merch, records from Bandcamp, you name it. I just bought a record, and I listened to it all the goddamn time by Mark Sultan. As should you. Uh, I'm really having... This is my fifth... third. I don't know. I've tried to this intro a million times today. I don't know what is my problem, but I keep I'm having I'm things aren't great upstairs this week and I'm struggling. So I think the struggles in my brain are translating in my tongue. I've just really struggled. So if I've made any mistakes in this intro to anybody, please forgive me. Also, speaking of show notes, in the show notes are all things Matt Dwyer. You can go and uh, to my website thematdwyer.com, you could become a Patreon Subscriber, you can hear the extended, unedited version of this episode and interview. I think we talked for an hour and a half. There's also the video if you want to look. Though Mark is in kind of dark lighting, so he looks like he's in Apocalypse Now, which is actually pretty goddamn cool. Uh, But please become a Patreon subscriber. Help support the show. There's all kinds of extra content on there. There's audio blogs, written blogs two-part interviews. Most of my interviews go two parts. The second part lives on there. Uh, and if if you want to start your own podcast, I can consult you on that. I've I've worked with people. If you like want to just have your podcast edited or if you want to develop the idea, I've developed ideas with David Keckner, Rob Delaney, a lot of great comedy people, but I've also edited 300 episodes. So just go to thematdwire.com. And if you need a website, you can go to kellyrdwire.com, and she could build your website. I can help you do your podcast. You could do a web, get the website, all one-stop shopping for your podcast showbiz needs. Yeah. Anyway, this is a great conversation with Mark Sultan. I've been a fan of his for a very long time, so I was honored and uh, a little nervous, to be quite honest. Sometimes I get a little nervous because when I extra admire somebody's work, it's... Intimidating, but this is great. Really fun. We had similar sort of childhoods. Uh, I really greatly enjoyed talking to him. And please, like I said, show notes. Check out the show notes. Check out all things Mark Sultan. Check out all things the King Kong Barbecue Show. They're coming to L.A., I know that, and I best see them or I will cry because I've wanted to see them play for 20 years, possibly. I don't like saying that because that makes me feel old. At least 15 that makes me feel old. Um, I believe that is all things that I needed to say in this intro. Um, but follow me on social media. Follow them on social media. Enjoy this conversation with Mark Sultan. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I grew up with this really, uh, me and my friends used to like really hurt ourselves for fun and do that kind of stuff. But I guess I lived in Canada, so you could always just make your way to the clinic and get sewn up if you wanted to. <laughs> so we used to just get hurt. And I remember my mom was just like, get so pissed off. She's like, what now? And it's like, hey, can you take the rocks out of my leg? You know, whatever. And just like, ugh. But so I just, blood to me was always kind of funny. I thought it was, I associated it with fun until I got older. And then and now when I fall down and I, you know, I break my hip and it's because it's, it turns to dust, you know, because I'm so old, but <laughs> people, I gotta watch it. people use that as an argument against uh, socialized medicine. Like these kids are just going to take advantage of it for fun. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> was that sort of always a spirit that you had? Because from just from what I know from researching you, there's a lot of 
your early shows were mayhem and you kind of became rebellious at a young age? I don't know. I always liked the, I, I was, I grew up, you know, my, my earliest kind of forms of uh, entertainment were collecting mad magazines and listening to, you know, uh, music that my older cousin would bring home, which were generally bootlegs of like classic rock stuff. So the, you know, I don't know. Mad Magazine for is a big one though. That that was like a very when I look back now, it's like, you know, it's pretty subversive kind of and EC comics in general. I grew up with all that stuff that I just kind of fished out on my own and I I was lucky enough to get a lot of the older copies and a lot of the ideas in there, I guess, kind of influenced me and turned into punk and all this other stuff. And yeah, I guess to some extent I I I just like the idea of not being normal nine to five joe you know like i liked i wanted to do my own thing all the time and i think also you know when you're young and you're you're getting hurt it was fun back then of course it the rebound but it was also it was like shocking you know you'd shock your parents and you'd shock people i broke my my arm once with some i have a steel plate in my arm but i broke this thing so bad that it flipped this way Holy like this shit. And me and my friends were playing with it like a puppet, like, yeah, we're just having fun with my arm. And then my older brother happened to pass by and I just saw him. He went like the color dropped from his face and he like sprinted to my house. Like, mom, you know, we thought it was fucking cool. Like, we're just like, wow, like our bodies are just garbage. This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't like feel any pain. I have a, well, I used to, I don't know how it works. I, I recently fell and broke, I just fell. This is, this is why I don't, I can talk all this stuff. Ha ha. Back in the day, it was funny getting hurt, but I fell a few months ago and broke my ribs. <laughs> just like, what? Like, so yeah, I don't find, I feel pain, but I, pain is, I don't know. It's not, I, when I see people react to pain, some other people, when they get hurt, I think it's a bit more ridiculous. I don't know. Maybe I have a high pain yeah. tolerance. I, I mean, anytime I've had like extreme, like I've been hit by a couple cars, not to brag, but I've <laughs> had two. Yeah. But like when yeah. I'm in those kind of situations, there's like some kind of heightened, I don't know, it's weird. It's like you leave your body a little bit and it becomes like this heightened experience, almost like you're fucking high. And I've been that yeah, a lot well, too. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is something to be said for that though. I guess also if you, I always grew up under the impression that my body is just like, you know, a husk basically. So it's not really attached to me anyways. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm in this thing, but I have no real personal connection to it aside from it doing my bidding, you know, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't, I guess when it gets hurt, when the thing gets hurt, I'm kind of, I look at it like, like it's a movie and it's kind of interesting to look at. That's you know? that's yeah. That's how I was. Or when I got yeah, like, right. I remember being in the hospital and like being like sewn up because I flipped over a car. I was on a scooter and just being sort of like analytical about it and like detached. And like, it was like watching a movie and being like, this is a part of life. Like you have to accept that. Like, yeah, these yeah. are the things that happen. Like you can't be freaked out about it. It's yeah. It's hard to almost describe on my end. At least you're more articulate than me. <laughs> I feel like I'm brain dead today, but I feel as though maybe that's kind of a spectrum kind of thing. I don't know why I'm, I don't, I've never been diagnosed, but you know, I think there's this disassociative kind of behavior, uh, that I, I have loops of behavior like that involving that kind of thing. When I look at my body, as opposed to who I think I am, they're two different things, you know, you know, people have like, uh, what is that? body dysmorphia and all these kind of things. Yeah. I don't necessarily have that, but I just don't feel particularly attached to this. Maybe it's from acid abuse. I don't know. Could be that. That could know. be my issue too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Cause as you say that, I'm like, yeah, that's how, like I have always felt a bit outside of myself and sure, I, yeah. I don't know if that's a, is that a creative thing or is that, do you think there's a connection there? I you know, um, this can, we could, I don't mind talking anything, but I, I feel it has to do with your, I believe I'm a fairly spiritual person on some level. I think that maybe it's a culminative, a culminative, uh, maybe it's like your soul experience recognizing that there's a greater, uh, existence to your being than the shell you're trapped in and that you, you know, you respect it, but you, you know, that it doesn't matter as much as what's inside of the shell. I don't know. Something to that effect. Yeah. I, I can't really... Yeah. Cause even when I've done 
large quantities of drugs, like if I was coked to the gills, I still felt like there was some sense of consciousness from outside myself of what I was doing and how fucked up I was that almost like I was over watching over myself, taking care of myself. Does that make sense? Did you ever get that thing? I don't know. I get it sometimes where I feel myself not like, so like right now I'm centered and I feel kind of in this thing, but sometimes I feel like I'm over here a little bit. Yes. Like I'm kind of outside of myself a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I'm over here. Not so, I don't get super far outside of a particular uh, space, but I do often find myself just outside. And I do, I remember uh, being into like psychedelics and looking over myself, maybe, maybe taking babysitting myself at the same time, having the responsibility. But I also feel as though some of us creative people also recognize that we're in control of our particular reality at a given time. So I feel it is like a movie because you're watching, you're, you're observing yourself to make sure that you're in play in your own fate, something, something to that effect. I don't know. That's what do you, do you have, can you pinpoint when you sort of started being aware of that element? I, I'm pretty screwed up. <laughs> so, <laughs> Me too. I, don't know. I, I started like lucid dreaming, for example, when I was like, three i remember so I, I don't know if it's all part of the same mechanism for me but i think i recognize that realities are you know my reality might not be the uh, is not the same as yours and vice versa and i think mine in particular is just like i kind of came to the conclusion that this reality is malleable to an extent and that it mirrors my dream reality i feel they're both very, very, uh, they have the same tangibility to me. So I just feel that I have c- certain control over that. And, and as I got older, I realized that, um, that being said, I have to watch dreams to me are a movie. And so is this reality. It's all just movies to me. And the real thing is kind of when I'm focused in my own, uh, I guess when I'm really high, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which kind of high, like marijuana high or various other sorts? I guess like psychedelics. I, I haven't, I, I, I'm pretty chill about uh, all that stuff for a while. I've been just, well, I started, you know, when I was like 10 or whatever. So it's like, I kind of had to take a break in there. <laughs> at one point. You know? What did you and, start uh, at 10 with? 10 was uh, hard liquor and cigarettes and then, uh, worked my way up to, everything else. And then I had to kind of pull back from a lot of it. Now it's cool because, you know, if I go on tour, it's like, there's a lot of, uh, legalized mushrooms, which is very strange. And in fact, I, I, I go to Vancouver now and again, and out there in, in, uh, British Columbia in Vancouver, they have, there's like stores that are kind of pushing the limits now. So there's actual, and they're not, they're not being shut down. Cause there's, I guess the cops are just like, whatever, but they have, you know, they sell LSD, they sell peyote, they sell DMT, their stores, like just hey, like buy your stuff, have a good time. And I guess as we open up more as in these societies, it's like, it's cool to go on tour and people are giving you like mushroom truffles and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like stuff that I, you know, somebody used to maybe pass you a shot of really cheap vodka now they give you a fucking edible or a fucking joint or whatever and it's kind of like whoa and like don't worry it's, it's legal here like wow holy what i remember like you know getting arrested for this kind of thing not so long ago you know or whatever yeah so. I'm, I'm kind of amazed that people are like mushrooms like there was a, a woman who would mail me like chocolate mushrooms and i'm like like how are you getting away with this and it's it seems like the federal government, especially in the United States, has always been strongly against psychedelics. And I've always been like, well, yeah, because they don't want us to see the truth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, you even see, I even like, it kind of made me nervous. In Canada, it's, uh, it's legal. Everything's not mushrooms, but like weed, for example, is like legal across the board. I think you're allowed to grow your own shit, all this stuff. In principle, that sounds great. But like with anything, the thing that, is kind of alarming to me is the disregard when something becomes readily available, like the, when people are smoking like shatter or like doing mass amounts of edibles and not really understanding the potency of, 
you know, weed can be a good trip even if you want it to be, if you, if you pace it and you do all these things and you, if you're not just out to get abused or, or do something like, they'd be like that. But I, what I worry about is like an old person who's like, I want to try this medical marijuana. And it's like, here's some fucking popcorn apple jacks. They're like some, one of these stupid fucking, you know, <laughs> What the hell this is? And then it's like, I just want to try a little toke. And it's like, your grandma's melting in the corner, you know? It's like, I don't know. I just think it's, it's cool. But at the same time, you know, that it's like, I don't know. Some people aren't ready for it. And with mushrooms, like if you're not ready for mushrooms and you just think it's going to be like, I just want to get rid of depression. <laughs> it's like, you know, I remember the first time mushrooms are like, we didn't know about quantities. I was like 12 or 13. And I remember my friend bought a bag off somebody, a bag like this. And we're just like eating like popcorn. <laughs> and then we, of course you go do the obligatory walk to the graveyard type thing, you know? And it's just, I remember like, I must've done probably seven grams or something. And I remember sinking into it, like our feeling as though I was sinking into somebody's grave. And I was just like, I like this, but I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, come on. You know, I was into all that imagery and that kind of stuff, but when it's happening at the time, it's not the funnest. And if you're not prepared for that kind of, I mean, I'd never done psychedelics. So to me, it's like, if you're not prepared for that kind of commitment to the potential of going bananas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the, cause I'm, I started drinking and like pot and stuff around, t- all that was around 10 as well, which I'm like, now I look back, I'm like, how the fuck, who was around? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. What am I? I've, so I, I. Sorry, I'm going to talk a lot because I haven't. I've been in. I've been trapped in this oh, cave. Well. Um. So one of my earliest memories about getting really fucked up was I think I was at that point eleven, and we got. I was at my friend's place and two brothers, and they had this. They brought up this chip bowl, like a. This was like early '80s, I guess, and they brought up this chip bowl. I'm assuming probably some vomitous green or brown leftover from the seventies. And then they just went to the liquor cabinet and these kids are younger than me. So I was like 11, they probably like eight, nine, 10, I can't remember something. And they're pouring just like different kinds of liquor. And then, you know, you'd put it under the water because the parents would mark it, you know, like they'd have the levels marked on the bottles because these kids were getting into the alcohol when they were like eight or whatever, nine, 10. And um, they poured a bunch of different liquors into this uh, chip bowl. And, you know, it's, I'm in outside, just on the outskirts of Montreal. And it's, I think, February. So it's like minus 30 Celsius, freezing cold. So we're like cold inside the house. So we take straws and we're drinking from this chip bowl. (laughs) All of us, you know, and, and I just remember the, the next thing I remember is, uh, the surly dad who himself, I guess was an alcoholic and kind of abusive guy, but I don't really remember those details so much, but I remember he's pulling me out of a snowbank that I guess I'd went outside minus 30 and just kind of like was trying to walk home, but I had no jacket or boots on. And I passed out in a snowbank. And I mean, like, I could have died. Just totally stupid shit. And you know, nobody, everybody's parents, both parents where I grew up, both of the parents had to work because everybody's, has no money or nowhere, you know? And so the kids were always left to their devices. And where I grew up was like, everybody was a degenerate. So it was like, yeah, we started and we, or we, you know, with cigarettes, I just remember we'd send the youngest brother who was, I think eight and we'd hand scroll a note, like, you know, um, it's okay. He's just buying me smokes or whatever. It's supposed to be from the bomb or whatever, but we can hardly spell, you know, it's like chicken scrawl. But then again, I'm like, yeah, this is where I'm from. Probably how adults actually write, you know? So it worked all the time. We get a 25 pack of black carrots and smoke cigarettes, bleh, you know, so stupid, but you can't do that shit anymore. There's no way, you know? No, they don't even have like, cause we would just sneak in and get cigarette machines. Like you just, we'd do that real quick at some like restaurant or something and then get run the fuck out. That's a great idea. We didn't have those. Fuck. That's great. Was it a pretty working class sort of environment you grew up in or, or yeah, less? Yeah. Uh, less. <laughs> <laughs> I no, was I mean, less was than working class too. So yeah, it was like a rough place, whatever. But, uh, but they didn't, we, it was a, it was like a small town and I don't, I guess the only place you could find one of those cigarettes, which I know you're exactly what you're talking about would be in like a restaurant where 
we'd look like street urchins if we walked into <laughs> like, like hopping on a, a rag covered in ether or something. Hey, hey, you know, like wearing a tin can on your shirt for no reason, you know. Yeah, I don't know. We were like pretty screwed up kids, but we just anyway, the kid, the younger brother needed the exercise. We just sent him to the store. So it's all right. <laughs> Is it was it amazing that you sort of got into music or got out of this world at all? Or cause I think about my hometown and I'm like, most of them are there. Well, where, where are you? Where are you from? Outside Chicago. Oh yeah. Okay. And I grew like, up in a very working class shitty suburb where it was just like, there was a dude who kept a horse in his house. Like for a brief, like mm. I remember walking by his house and the horse's head sticking out the front window. And I mean, the cops <laughs> eventually came, but it was like the but thing, you know, but that's how, dad. what was it his pet or his dad? It, I think his dad thought it was a pet. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. It okay. was like, you know, it like, I mean, the worst case scenario would be like, that's the guardian of the house. That would kind of, <laughs> <sound. laughs> but you also have a horse shitting in your house. Like it's not, it's just, it was baffling to me. Still, there was a, there was a, I don't know. How old are you? 53. Okay, so I'm I'm turning 49 this year, and I remember in the 80s I was so my parents didn't have a lot of money, but I somehow one year I I saved. I used to I was I, I still am a miser to some extent, and that these lessons I've learned because my parents never had money, and when they finally got money, you know something would happen where they'd lose all their money, and it was this kind of situation. So I learned early on to like if I did get money, like say Grandma sent me five bucks in a fucking birthday card, I would like sock it away boom boom and you know eventually i'd be able to like buy records and do all this stuff but one memory this is before we get into music is um just that kind of <clears throat> parental kind of uh you know anyway so uh i was i had a commodore 64 i don't know if you remember these computers like yeah. one of the early like some shit shit bag <laughs> you know, my, my dad swindled off somebody or something i don't know whatever and I had, there were a couple kids, maybe like two kids in my town that also had that or Texas Instruments, some kind of computer where if you took a floppy disk, no matter, it would, it would read it on any computer. And so there was one kid, I'd go, I went to his house, he's like, I got tons of games. And he was kind of, you know, I was like, cool, you have tons of games. Uh, can I get some? Can I burn some off you? We're like, yeah, come over, we'll hang out and play video games. And I remember going to this guy's house and like, his dad was on a lazy boy just like it's like three after school three in the afternoon he's just like barely coherent eyes like glazed over like eh, i guess he was drunk or whatever i don't know and then he's like hey you want some ice cream and i'm like yeah i'd love some ice cream and we're eating bowls of ice cream and i put my spoon in and i'm like wow this is a weird bowl where the bottom of the bowl is kind of like rough but I noticed it was just crusted spaghetti on the bottom of the bowl because, like, that's how they live. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, that's like the kind of the kind of shit in these towns, you know. So that said, uh, with the music thing, I never looked at uh, music as a way to get out. But when it did become a ticket to get out, I, I was pretty stoked, you know. Like, and I have nothing against. I know people that stayed around and they're still there, and they seem to be happy. It's just for me, it, it wasn't for me, you know. Did you? Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me it's just like creative endeavors in my town people looked like if you were like i want to be an actor they'd be like are you fucking out of your mind like we don't do that like it was that sort of oh yeah yeah or with the, with with the other thing in my town would be so if you weren't getting a punch in the head for this kind of thing <laughs> you had you had <laughs> you had allies who were like yeah but i you know the, i was into punk rock or whatever and they don't it's the kind of thing where it's so far out. They don't know that stuff. And they're like, you play drums? Like, yeah, you know, I'm very rudimentary at drums, but I have a feeling and I can write songs and just clobber stuff and like, yeah, I can do whatever. And I think it's punk and fun. And they're like, huh, but can you play Rush songs? Like, no. <laughs> I don't want to play that shit, you know? But that was the thing I was fighting against was when you finally found friends that were into being creatives, their idea of being creative was completely different from mine. You know, it was just like either covering something in music or like if they were acting, it was like there'd be a talent show at school and like the guy who would win the prize of the talent show would be doing like church late. You know, it's just like, what the f you know what I mean? It's like, do your own thing. Fuck. What the fuck is this? You know, me and my friends are like, you know, <laughs> pretending to cut off our arms and just doing weird shit. And it's like, 
you fucking freaks or whatever you ask for. Yeah, it seems like the people who always won the talent contests were usually the least talented. Like I've never, like if you see, oh, like all the famous comics always lost the fame, the comedy competitions. It was like it was never the good guy <laughs> winning. But I mean that mirrors itself when you get older as well. Even even like in music that I play or this kind of genre I'm, I'm trapped in, it's like, it's all a popularity contest. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, it's like, I wasn't a popular kid in school because I'm misanthropic and I, I genuinely hate people. You know, so it's like, I'm not going to, why am I going to win something? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. And, uh, yeah. The kids who would win, like there was at one point, there were a, I don't know how it happened in my school, but all of a sudden there were bands in the school. Like, I was just like, holy shit, there's kids that play music. It's like, yeah, we got this band covering uh, Rush. There was that band, of course. But then there was like a band, you know, I don't know. It's just terrible. And then if I played any music I was into, it's just like, what is this garbage that you're into? Like, it's not garbage. It makes me happy. And I go see shows and I, I have a nice life and you're stuck here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Uh, did you have to escape to go see shows? Like go to yeah, this so, big city? Yeah, exactly that. So where I grew up was um, maybe, I don't know, in, in distance, I don't know. But it was kind of, maybe now they have a good bus system or something. But it was very difficult back in the day. So I would crash. There was a native reservation beside my town. And my best friend at the time was this native dude, Adam. <clears throat> and he was already working and doing stuff. So he had no problems like taking a cab from the reservation across the bridge to the Metro Montreal Metro. And once you're at the Metro, then, you know, you pay a buck and then you get to the area of the venues and we'd go see shows, but it was, you know, I, I mean, half the time I wouldn't show up to school the next day or I, you know, if I did, I'd be like really tired, but I found school really like, like my teachers would get mad at me because I know something. It was not a place that fostered intelligence, my school. So it was like, I didn't feel I needed to be there. And if I wanted to pass a test, I certainly didn't have to study because it was just like, okay, question number one, what's your name? You know, it was like, oh. <laughs> it was really like, <laughs> but uh, we definitely used to escape and go to the city and go see shows. And then when I'd come, I would be so stoked and I'd show up at the school the next day trying to find anybody my friend Adam didn't go to the school, so he had already dropped out of school. So anybody I could talk to, I was like, hey, I went to go see whatever it was, like Butthole Surfers or, bleh, you know, I went to see this band yesterday and people are just like, sorry, man, I'm into, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Honeymoon Suite or whatever. It's like, holy fuck, who am I going to talk to about this shit, you know? I don't even know Honeymoon Suite. Oh, it's a Canadian band. Very, yeah. I, I, that was a bad reference. I was trying to think of something... <laughs> I was trying to connect with you on something, and I was like, why did I drop that honey? I surprisingly know a decent amount of Canadian music. I've had a lot of Canadians on the podcast, not to brag. Right. But Honeymoon Suite did miss me. It's terrible. It's up there with, if you know, Kick Axe, another terrible oh, Canadian yeah. band. <laughs> Wait, you know that one, but you don't know Honeymoon Suite? <laughs> I don't know. I have a weird, you know, I have a weird reference level. Well, also, mine is like a certain time period. So, me, it's like Honeymoon Suite, Helix. Remember Helix? Oh, yeah. Right. So this is my prime time when I was like watching much music in Canada. I'm like hoping and praying, and, you know, maybe you'd get some weird off, you'd get a dead milkman video and you'd be like, Oh, I guess it's cool. Cause it's like, they, you know, they're not playing anything punk. So you take what you can get, not to knock dead milkman, you know, like, that was, that was cool growing up. But I just mean to say you weren't going to get a fucking, uh, the crazy punk stuff you really wanted but if you watched long enough you might get something you know so that's what i would do i would, I would yeah, just watch waiting for something which was yeah. and it was like punk rock girl was one of the first, and i liked the punk dead milkman before that song yes but it was like, sort of like a safe not to knock the because i do love the dead milkman but it was a safer right. punk. that's what i'm saying because i like bitch and camaro and all that stuff you know like i remember that stuff and it was part of the first cassettes i would get you know Me too. kind of stuff um, so no knock on them, but th by that point that, uh, punk rock girl came out, they were already a major label band. You know what I mean? So it was like, or whatever they were, that was a hit kind of. Yeah. They I were remember. on slash, which was pretty big. Oh, was 
I think well, they, they made it, maybe they jumped after Slash, but like, but the first punk I heard was like, I saw your mommy and your mommy's dead. And that's punk rock sure, girl right. is a major leap from, from that. Exactly. So great example. So one of my first cassettes that I ever got that was, yeah, definitely suicidal and like more obscure, hardcore, less of the 77 style punk, more of the hardcore, but decent, like decent hardcore stuff, like circle jerks and all this kind of stuff. But of course, like Dead Kennedys and whatever else. And then, yeah, that's what I mean to say. It's like, you're not going to hear... Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. Because remember, Suicidal had... <clears throat> uh, what's it called? Institutionalized was a pretty big uh, MTV song at one point. No? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they tended to... They crossed over a bit. I, but did they... What year was that? Was that more late 80s, 90s? Well, that, no, no, that, like, so I saw your mommy and your mommy's dead is on the same album, which I think is 80, I want to say 82, 83 or something. I could be wrong, but it's earlier eighties. And that was a hit somehow, which is cool, I guess. <clears throat> but, uh, much music was a different beast. The Canadian MTV was really strange because there was also the idea that they had to have a certain percentage of Canadian content as well, which is why I know things like honeymoon suite. Because <laughs> they're like, Glass Tiger? Do you know this shit? I don't you know. know. Oh, Glass Tiger? That sounds familiar. Is that like Man. hair metal-ish or hair metal adjacent? Uh, with like a bedazzled bolo, you know what I mean? Like with like a fucking like shoulder suit with oh, a yes. fucking keytar. Just like some terrible dreck. You know, a dude that like looks 40 when he's 20 kind of with makeup on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, oh no, you're going to be an accountant soon, you know? Yeah. But, uh, a lot of crappy stuff. You know what was really weird was all of a sudden I remember seeing Cro-Mags everywhere at one point, which was really strange. I don't know if you ever... I was never really into Cro-Mags, but that was like one where that got popular on, on much music and I was just like, that's weird, you know? But, yeah, I never... I like know the name, but I couldn't tell you anything about Cro-Mags. I think it was... A, there was a certain point of punk that got a bit too like rock metal oriented for me and I just was like... Oh, yeah, I, I didn't get in... Because then I had the Chicago influence. Like I got into that stuff... Like Dead Milkmen, Suicidal Tendencies, Dead Kennedys. And then once I got like, then I got into the DC and then Shellac, Jesus Lizard stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. Total. Oh, yeah, Jesus Lizard, man. So that was like, so you probably were seeing a lot of the same shows I was seeing. Because it's like, when did you start seeing shows in the 80s, I'm assuming? Yeah, late 80s. I kind of, I had a mishmash of taste, though. And then it, when I lived in, sh- moved to Chicago, I was working a lot of nights, so I didn't get to see as much as, like, I was supposed to see the, I would supposedly go see something, or supposed to see something, and then it would fucking fall apart. Like, I never saw the Jesus Lizard while I lived in Chicago, which is a crime. Oh, crazy. But I would see, which Fug- is oh, but uh, like, Fugazi, Shellac, Nation of Ulysses, Pegboy, those are, like, a lot of shows I saw. I saw Fugazi oh. a million times. Yeah, that's like around the same time as me, also the same thing, except I did see Jesus Lizard, I guess, a bunch of times when I guess, what was the first album? Was it Goat or I can't remember? I think it was Goat. They had an EP and then I think it was Goat. Well, I remember seeing, I guess their first show in Montreal, I definitely had seen. I kind of caught, luckily, I caught the cut, like the beginning of the transitional phase of, of what I guess is now referred to as grunge, but there were a lot of good shows Cause at the time it was like, there was indie and punk stuff happening. And then there was like the nascent grunge scene. It all kind of coalesced and it was like, it was all part. And then all of a sudden everything had a label at one point, but at one point everything, like you could go see, you know, Sonic youth and you could see, uh, you know, a hardcore show and you could see Jesus lizard and you could see, you know, bleach era Nirvana. And you could see, you know, it was all just one mess of shows that I remember going to see. And I never really had I was just like, oh, it's all like this kind of underground scene. Cool. You That's know? how I viewed it too. And then it seemed to be kind of segregated once they started throwing labels on it, yeah. which is yeah, going to be fucking, you know, money label shitheads doing that stuff intentionally. Exactly. exactly that. It was once they threw the labels on there, which was obviously done by the labels just to make money somehow to like segregate it so you could pick your team like jocks and shit. <laughs> then it, you know what I mean? That's what it is. It's like, pick your team. You know, like, like I don't want to pick a team. I just want to listen to everything. It's fun. I know? feel like we're back 
to that to a degree that most of the people I know don't have like a team. It's like they listen to every genre. It seems more fluid these days, or maybe I'm maybe that's just me. It could. I mean, I have no idea. I have no reference for that. I don't really. I guess I, I, in playing music, not that I have been in the last two years, but there there had come a point where it was just. I don't even listen to music anymore. You know, I mean, I do. I have my little forty-five collection that I'm like, I like my stuff. But when people are like, hey, have you heard like, uh, you know, Blumkin Smith or whatever? I'm just like, no, I never heard that man. Like, like all right, whatever, boomer or whatever. Like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, what is? Uh, I hope Blumkin Smith is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just made that shit up. But I hope somebody grabs it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you have so many b- bands that you've been a part of. You could have just said, "Yeah, that was I did that in." Uh, I did well. That was oh seven. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I, but I, you know, I don't know. Like I, my friends don't really. I think everybody. I guess you hit a certain age, and people just tend to. If you come from a certain background where you were already open to so many things to begin with, you tend to just. Are, I don't know. I've always found I was open to a lot of stuff. So now I'm always open. I listen to so many different kinds of things. And, you know, there's always purists in these scenes like, huh, is that a synth I hear? <laughs> <laughs> really? All right, buddy Holly. <laughs> Fuck. Give me a break. What do you hunt for with 45s? Because I've been, I'm tempted to get into 45s, but I, I'm like, I don't need to open up another fucking bag of where <laughs> the money goes. Into it. Yeah, like I, I, I mean, I started collecting them since when I was five years old. So it's like, to me, and then, you know, my collections have been pillaged hard twice in my life, but so I, I, I would never jump into it. Like, for example, I had some 45s that I used to have that I don't have anymore because of various reasons. If I try to get them back now, it's like, there's just some, you know, the same guy who hoards like 1957 Levi's like that guy, you know, like, <laughs> He's not even listening to the fucking thing. He's just got it in a fucking plaque on the wall with a fucking mustard stain on it or something. I'm just like, oh, like I just want to listen to this shit, you know? And it's like, I, I can't even buy it back because somebody's hoarding it. Like, like it's a fucking, you know, I realize that it's an artifact and I realize that it's, you know, some of these things are, are their value is their existence is their value. I understand, but it's like fucking crack it out and listen to it, man. Anyway, yeah, I couldn't do that. No, it's just a really strange kind of thing. But I don't know. My 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 personal kind of, if I took two record boxes here right now and I was like listening to music, it's always the same kind of 45. So it's going to be like, you know, teenage, mid-60s, moody kind of organ stuff. And then it's going to be maybe like really... Uh, soulful post-gospel vocal group stuff you know those are the main things i always come back to when i'm listening to 45s they're just like a shot there's so many of those bands and artists that had 145 but it's magical or something so you're just like whoa like and if they put out a whole album it's like i don't want to hear them do my bonnie you know what i mean like i want to hear the good stuff i don't want to hear hey you're now on whatever like Mercury Records or whatever. I don't know what label. Some big, big label. It's like, okay, we need uh, an album, but I only have one song. Just do 11 covers. Now, let's go. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I stream so, um, WWOZ out of New Orleans a lot, and some of those guys have shows where they play old 40, like the shit you're talking about, where it's just like, and it's like they have the rare, that this is the, just what you were saying and they'll play those things and you can't even shazam it like it won't nothing will come up because it's so rare and vague which is great yeah it is it's part like i you know i used to do a thing here is like i'm in my little studio and i would uh when it was when covid was full force and i'm sure it is now too i don't but i just i don't even have a concept of time anymore or space but um, I would do live shows. I'd be playing my stupid, with my songs. And then I would play 45s after and I have it all hooked up into my mixer because it's my little studio. So then I could play it through. And so when people are listening to it, you can hear the music like, you know, and people are like, I'm trying to find their song, whatever. And I can't find it. It's like, well, I'm not going to, not going to tell you what it is. And I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's like, 
what I used to have to do is you'd hear a song vaguely on a radio station. You have no idea what it is. Some like, you know, dude dozing off on heroin with a fucking floppy mohawk playing some punk song. And he's not listing any of the, you have no idea what's playing, but you have, you're just like, Hey, does anybody know that song with the guys like, uh, you know, there's still one song to this day. I don't know that I, it's in my head. I've never found out what it is, but I don't know. It's just like the adventure of finding the music is part of the fun. And if you can just hold your fucking phone up, who is it? Oh, it's a, uh, you know, Johnny Twizzler and the fucking, uh, caramel junkie. Like that's not fun. Like, you know, like, I don't know anyways, but, um, so the other good thing about those 45s, which are, especially New Orleans, like, uh, let's say New Orleans has a lot of really good R and B stuff from late fifties through the mid sixties. Really fucking amazing to me. But these 45s, I don't know what it is as well. They act as to me, like kind of time travel devices or like, like if you plug yourself into the feeling of the actual music on that 45, you can literally, you know, shift your being enough. Like you can vibrate enough that you can go into a parallel universe for a moment, or you can time travel for a bit. And they're magical little, they're magic little things. Like they, it's crazy to me how much power they hold. It's, it's insane. If it's the right 45, you know, can you think of any of those off the top of your head or is that too much to ask? I'm, I'm not telling you, man. <laughs> but I know what you mean. And I've kind of like, when I listen to those shows, I'm, I've stopped shazamming too, because I'm like, just fucking be in the, this moment and listen. Exactly. You don't need to know everything. No, I, I, that's, ex- there you go. So part of it is, when when a good when somebody's playing good music, there are some of them. Some of those people just want you to know that they have this fucking rare record, whatever. A lot of, there's a lot of those guys, or there's somebody who's like, you know, like a, a fucking sage, or like an instructor, or a professor, or somebody, or like you know, an old guy uh, who keeps his pants on that gives you ice cream or whatever. And you know, he, these people are showing you uh, this music that means a lot to them that they want you to hear because. There is a chance that if you listen to this, especially the way they know how to play it, maybe this song with this song, like like a fucking recipe, that it's going to give you the power to like step outside of your body for a moment and be somewhere safe and, and nice and happy. And it's like a, you know, it's like you don't need to know the fucking specifics of what it is. Like if I, if I, you know, if I'm going to go get a pudding pop, I don't want to know that there's a fucking ingredient in that's going to make my balls turn to fucking raisins. I just want to eat the fucking pudding pop, you know? Yeah. When I lived in New York, there was a guy at one of the subway stops who played the, I don't even know what the fuck it's called, but it's a metal bucket with a stick and a, one string. Yeah, sure. And he would sing old tunes. I'd, and it was like, that's you didn't, I didn't need to know what it was. I didn't need to know who he was. And it was every time I stumbled upon him, it was fucking magic for the five yeah. minutes I had to wait. Exactly. And if you're, if you're willing to kind of give in and submit yourself to that space and that time frame that five minutes that that person's putting out not necessarily for you it's usually for them or whatever if it's live music or 45s or albums or any art for that matter if you are willing to step through that threshold and 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 kind of put your pretenses behind you and be a part of that experience it can really be transformative and amazing that's and you don't need to know all the other stuff that's not important it's being in the moment and enjoying this for what it is that's what to me getting back to those 45 some of them that's what they do it's like almost like a new drug where you could except it lasts for that three minutes and then you snap back and then you're you know whatever i don't know it's cool i feel like i don't think sorry oh i was just gonna say and i'm not using this as a bad transition or whatever but i feel like your music evokes that for me for sure oh thank you yeah i mean i don't i really appreciate that it's not a conscious uh, effort on my part. I think, I think what a lot of people don't, and I'm not saying I'm any better or any worse than anybody, but I think one of the magical kind of responsibilities you have as a musician, to me, especially in, in the realm overall of like rock and roll or any sexual based music, because that's all it really is to me, um, is you have a responsibility to present your music in such a way that you allow people to come on a trip with you. It's, you can't be selfish about how you present the music. You know, you might have an idea in mind that's sacred to you, or you might have, uh, 
the way you play it is like the way I play it. This is my thing. And you have ownership over some thing that you're doing. But if you're putting that music out, it should be a means for people to find solace or to, uh, or cry or smile or whatever the case may be. And you should be putting forth your heart and your soul to an extent. And if you're not, I think you're, you're kind of cheating yourself, you know? And if, if you can make music that allows people to travel within it, then I think that's success musically. Like if, if you feel that way about my music, then I'm like, all right, I did, I did my job and I feel successful about it. Um, also because you are actually hearing my soul for real. I'm not, and that sounds cheesy and corny, but if you feel it and it makes you feel good, that validates my existence on some level. So it's cool. you know. Yeah. It doesn't seem, cause I do feel like what I agree with 100% with what you said. And you, I think that's why when people fake it, you, you know, and yeah. you, you can just immediately you go, ah, <laughs> it's like, no, some people fake it very well, but you still, you, I don't know. You could tell when it's not authentic, but don't you find that I, I feel we live in a time now where like you just said authentic. And one of my biggest pet peeves is this like this Renaissance of people using that word in a, in a way that I just don't understand where they, but you know, it's like this thing now where it's like everybody role plays and it's like, it's everything, you know, from, from like LARPing role play rebels that you see every day online or like just using these words, like, like authenticity. And so like, Oh man, that song is so authentic. Like really explain what's authentic about the song, this song that you're, it's about, uh, some bullshit and it's like made on a computer in two seconds and the guy's auto-tuned or let's step off that or a rock song that's like got no chorus or anything that just doesn't have that thing and when people are like try it's like that whole thing like trying to be cool when they're cool is so intangible like i don't you know it, sometimes it just doesn't work you don't have to be a certain thing just be yourself and if being yourself is inauthentic that's your that's your authenticity you know what i mean like yeah. that's your thing cool I'm, like, it's just like when people rag on nerds, it's like, man, those are the coolest dudes in the world they're, because they're just being themselves. I never have a problem with some nerd or whatever. It's like, fuck that. That's a cool dude right there. And like, that's cool as fuck. Yeah. He's just doing his thing of shit, you know? Like, yeah, I think the whole authentic trip, I don't know when people are like, oh my God, like, uh, what is that guy? What's that guy who's like that kind of lanky dude that's like now, is he like has like anarchy symbols on his stuff, some like oh. pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, man, that guy's an authentic punker or whatever. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what? What's going on here? Like, <laughs> I feel like things have been recycled so much that we, that it's becoming layered. Like where you, like, I don't know. Now I'm fucking lost my point, but you were saying well, like, but like everyone's like role playing. And so, so it's like, it's becoming a thing of a thing of a thing where it becomes oh, disconnected. Oh, oh. Total. I think people get off more on the idea of things than the actual things themselves, which is a big problem, you know, or like, you know, you want, there's some things that now will never exist again, just because we're all, I believe that we, you know, I believe in that we're, there's a time, my idea of how time works is that there's frames. And I think on any given moment, we're on a different planet like this. And I feel as though this particular planet we're on now, like when somebody's like, Oh my God, I wish there was a new Kurt Cobain. And then not that I'm, and I don't care either way, but I was into that stuff, at, whatever. But then it's like, Oh, this guy. And it's like the most vanilla motherfucker in the world who's got no nothing, but they're so desperate for these things that in this world don't exist anymore. There's no more certain things that were just like in our existence in the eighties, there's no more of something else that was happening in this other time. And, and to pretend and love the idea of, of certain words that are associated with these things that could never exist again, you cheapen it. And what you're doing is like you said, you layer on these things. It's just bullshit. And it's like, instead of just moving on and doing the next thing and admitting like, okay, well, we're never going to have, I don't know, like summer of love again, or, or we're never going to have a, this kind of, you know, pop culture thing is never going to happen again because we're in a different planet with a different, uh, rules with different um customs with and it's just if you look back at history to me all history is is a mirror reflection of a different place that we'll never get back to because now 
our particular worlds move so far from it, we have no way of getting there unless we do drugs. <laughs> and I want to, I, I agree with you about the word authentic and I wish I could find it. Now I'm like, what word can I use to better? Cause also I feel like we abuse the word community. There's like all these words that are like community. Now it's just like, join our shaving community. It's like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like now community yeah. doesn't mean anything. It just means you, it, now it's just a means of market shit. <laughs> yeah, every, well, this is it. Everything's an ad for something. The worst in, is exactly in line with what you just said is there's one where, and it's done with like, with entertainment bands, whatever, where they put the word nation on the end of something. Yeah. I'm part of like my, Michael Buble nation or whatever. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? You're going to wave a flag. You go to war. Fucking fascist cunt. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're going to wave a flag because of some fucking shit you have no connection to whatsoever. Uh, anyways, whatever. Just really gets on my fucking... Well, you bring like, up... Because I feel like we culturally are getting more and more compartmentalized. Like, we're being stuffed into these groups and no one is... I don't know, like, it, there's, like, in this, the United States, it's the right and the left, and it's, everyone's like, we're right, we're right, we're right. And it's like how about if the working class all saw that maybe it's not about left and right, but it's about fighting for something like workers' rights, these motherfuckers would become so unified that the people at the top would be threatened. And it's like... Well, but like so, sorry to interrupt, but this is like a great point because you what you brought up before on the most basic level when we're talking about music and you're saying how the genres all of a sudden got like fucking segregated and there was all this stuff because of the money and the business behind it. And that's what happens with the politics that we have to go through every day. It's like, obviously there's a fucking do, 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 do. let's pit this guy versus this guy today and have a little fun. And do, 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 do. You know, it has nothing to do with us as humans. It's like you fall into the wrong click all of a sudden because you got brainwashed this way or this way. And it's all, you're getting told what to do here or there. And then all of a sudden you hate this guy and I hate this guy. Hey, this guy stinks. And the guy above you, it's like some literally a fucking pig just shitting in your face. You know what I mean? <laughs> I completely agree. And it's hard. It's, it's chaos. It's chaos. It's hard to sort out a lot of times because it's feel like more than ever you have so much shit coming at you of what uh, opinion and how yeah, a lot of the opinion is pointless kind of or it's just like read from a script like when you when you meet somebody who's staunchly on one side of some fence or another whatever whatever their ideology is moralistically politically sociologically it's like at one point they're all reading from the same script and it's like it, i just can't take it seriously because i have to like i want to knock on the floor like hello you know like can you tell me i don't know what's your favorite color can we talk about something else like yeah. Like pizza? <laughs> Let's find some common ground for a second. Hi, you know. Yeah. Kind I don't of. know. It's so ridiculous. But I think it's part and parcel, speaking back musically to this, like, the concept of, you know, what's retro now? Like, hey, do you remember 2019? Like, okay. Is retro futurism? Like, we pop has completely eaten itself. There's no sense of, like, you know, retro anything because it's so homogenized that we we are in this kind of like cesspool of just regurgitated rotting cultural garbage that it's like there's no we're, our heads are just barely above the surface like hey did you hear that band that kind of sounds like <laughs> you know and meanwhile you're taking a shit under all this and it's just building up a, oh it's oh now it's over here like oh Hey, I really like Stone Temple Pilots. Like, oh my god! Or they give these folks. No offense, if you if you are like younger person and you're into grunge or whatever. I don't know what's hip anymore. I'm a fucking old dude. Forgive me. But also this like being privy to all the information in the world and then having no sense of how to disseminate cool uh, in regards to. Um, kind of retro culture. So like, I really love grunge. Oh, like, okay, cool. So you like, I guess maybe you like the first mud, honey. I really like Alice in Chains. It's just like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? It's like when you start taking things just because it's from a period without even researching what it meant to the people that were actually into this thing. And you have all the information in the world to do this with, but you just like, again, like the idea of something and don't want to make a commitment to actually sacrifice anything to actually like something for real. It's insane to me. Crazy shit. 
Yeah. I mean, that's one of the first things I learned and I from Bob Dylan. He's like, if you like my music, go listen to this guy and then go listen yes, to that guy. Sure. And it's like, th- and I think I heard that in high school and that's what I did with everything I ever liked. I was like, oh, okay, so who influenced them? Be it film, music or whatever. And you have to, I feel like you ha- you're, owe the responsibility of to yourself right. to do that. And as, as a, as a musician, my responsibility, even if it's like, if only three people in the world like my music, I still have a responsibility to be a torchbearer for something so that there's an importance there. There's something coming down the pipeline from somewhere that eventually when you get to the end, running backwards through time, you're going to see something that's super important. And it's, it could be a spiritual revelation to you if you see certain offshoots of this one thing and then you you know, there's so many ways to go in any art form or any genre of music or whatever it may be. If you run backwards and you go here, go here, go here, here, and you're doing like supermarket, what is that, Mad Dash, supermarket Dash, and you're like <laughs> fucking grabbing stuff out the fucking aisles, like tomato sauce, Oreos, if you're, uh, and you're just taking everything and you're consuming it. And you're just like, wow, this, I've never seen this snack. Where's this from? Portugal? And you're just like fucking. And you're like, oh my God, this stuff is amazing. And I wouldn't have known about this had I not have, you know, and it's like very important to do that. It makes you, for me anyways, knowing the roots of the things that I do. And I hate when somebody's like, oh my God, this is a new thing. Nothing's new. We're at that point, nothing's new. Get over it. It's fine. But it, at least know what came before you and pay respect to it. And then throw it out again. Take a shit. Somebody sniffs it. They like it. It's cool. I've wondered recently if we'll have another, if it is impossible to have another cultural shift like we've had in the past where it's like, and you don't see it happen with authors anymore. There's no like, there's no writer writing the great American, not the great American novel, a great novel that suddenly shifts everything and the world opens up and people are like, oh, this perspective. Like, I I don't know why that is. I I don't, do you? Is that true? I don't know. Like, when's the last time you heard of a novel come out like for lack of a better example, like on the road and everything shifts and changes. And there's that, like, I don't feel like there's novel. I'm not saying that those, there's not great work coming out, but I feel like there's the impact somehow isn't there anymore. Well, I think that's because of the, how we've shifted as people as consumers with any, I mean, our, our books, do people even care? I mean, there is a subset of people that still read. I still read. You still read. There's still a lot of people that read, but I don't think it has the impact because it's like, you know, if if uh, if a meteorite falls to the earth and the ground is made of granite, it's going to fucking shatter and it's going to be a massive, crazy thing. But if if there's already fissures within the ground, it's not going to make the same impact because there's not enough kind of uh, structure to the thing to begin with. If there's not enough readers, you're not going to hear about impact because it's not impacting society as it should be. I'm sure there's tons of amazing literature coming out. You know, there has to be because there's always a mind that needs to to express itself. I mean, but... You're right. I have never in in recent years I haven't heard it, but I think that's just because people were dumb, and I think we can. I mean, we are. I yeah, mean, I'm no, saying I agree. We, you know, but I don't think. You know, if you put it's funny if you put out the most basic book from I don't know the 40s or 30s, the most basic writing style, the most basic ideas, most basic author. I don't even know if they could put that in the schools because it's just like. What is this Shakespeare? Like, you know, it's like, wow, God, it's like, it's a sentence with four words, man. You know, like, I just don't think now's the time for literature to be the thing that's going to change to, to make any cultural shift because it's, we're too dumb to accept literature into our hearts. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be music. It's going to be, or it's going to be some bullshit digital made up nonsense is what it's going to be, you know? you know, a, a fucking gif or gif of fucking Alf or something. Like, oh, this shit is amazing. Did you see it? Holy fuck. I think his name's Balf. He's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah I don't I, I don't think we have as a society the brains to uh, elevate ourselves to the next level, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's, de- that's a depressing thought. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't have to be depressing. It's just, if you want change, sometimes change comes with, you know, with collateral damage, you know? And perhaps the only way we can change anything now is to 
people like us take, we take a hit, we sacrifice ourselves somehow so that, uh, I don't know, things change. Maybe it's like incremental from now on so that if we ever get back to being smart, it's like people like us have to, I don't know. I don't understand it, but I think it's kind of a natural thing. Can't always be the same, can it, you know? No, I feel, and too, I feel like we're in such an era of where everything is changing and shifting so quickly that it's hard to get a perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, I I have my own perspective, which is probably not going to win popularity contests either, but, you know, I just feel as though uh, I just live in my bubble and the people that mean the most to me are the things that surround me and the people I talk to are the things that mean the most to my heart and the music that I listen to or make are the, or especially that I make are the kind of things that I put out there to offer something to somebody who might be on thinking the same way as me. And that's the most I can do. Everything else just seems like ad an ad. Everything's an ad for something. Even the most staunchly like this guy, like visit my website, www.frenchfries.com. Everything's a fucking ad. So I don't believe, I mean, I just don't believe most of people's sincerity, unfortunately. And that's also a problem. You know, if you want to be sincere about something, you're going to have to understand that your ego has got to take a back seat and you're going to have to take some hits and your skin's got to be thick. But a lot of people just, that's, that's another kind of thing that's fallen by the wayside a little bit, you know? Yeah. I feel that conflict within myself because it's like I have things I want to promote, but I don't always feel comfortable about promoting it because I don't. Oh, it's the worst. It does. It's not natural, and it's not why I didn't get into being a creative person or doing any of the things I pursue because I wanted to fucking get on a thing and scream about it, like "Look at me!" Because yeah. I don't want to be looked at at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the one time I was like a lead singer in a band years ago, I had to wear a mask because it's like. You know, on the one hand, I really would like to put forth this music and share energy with people. On the other hand, please don't look at me. Please stop looking at me. You know, like it's like a conflict because I, I personally, I'm a very introverted person. I, and I don't, like I said, I don't like people. But I feel this need, my, or at least my soul probably feels this need to connect. Maybe I have some other purpose. I don't know what it is, but I have to investigate and I have to pursue it to know, you know, and it's when I have to make music and music's the worst because you have to put it out there. Like on, you have to, and I, I'm, I'm on Facebook, like, Hey everybody, check it out. And I'm like, what a shill, what a fucking shill. You know, like it's so embarrassing that I have to like pretend like I like doing this stuff. <laughs> check it out guys. Like that's not how I talk. If you meet me, it's like, I, if somebody, like if I'm at a, a bar or something and, and one, one of my songs or an adjacent song comes on, I leave. I'm so embarrassed. Like I'm like, and sometimes people will do it because they think it's a compliment, but it's like, it's so to me, I'm just like, Oh, I just want to peel my skin off. Like, I don't want that. I don't want, I just want to like hang out. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's not my thing. Yeah. Well, for, yeah. for me, I got into creativity because I wanted to explore myself. I wanted to discover myself and others and learn. And that goes contradictory to, self-promotion like to me it's a spiritual thing on one level too that's yes, of contradictory course. of being capitalistic about it though you uh, not yes. and as soulless shelling of yourself like it doesn't the two don't go together in my opinion or at least for me no and i know for me and the worst is i'm making no matter what i would think about my music and no matter how you know i want to lend it importance or maybe i want to be a jerk about it or whatever the case may be about the music ultimately it's fucking pop music and what is pop music? It's a fucking, it's a fucking container of yo play in your fridge. It's the street shit. I don't care if you, if you're synthesizing farts and you're, you know, playing a tuba with a fucking guitar up your ass, whatever you're fucking doing. If you're putting it out there, you're pop and you're trying to sell it on some level. And that's what fucking is the most disgusting kind of realization that you make every day as a creative making music. It's like, you know, I'm sure there's a guy that makes like. I've made 4,000 albums, but I never put them out in public. But, but, but then what's the point of that? It's not cathartic at that point because you made the effort to like put the effort into it. I, uh, and if you've made a song, that means unless you're doing free form and you're just like, okay, that's a song. That's not, not that one. That's a song. 
if you're doing stuff like that, cool. But most people are kind of putting time into treating it like a, like a, a baby or something beautiful that you've created and you want it to be the best version of itself. It can be not for everybody else, but to make sure that the life you're breathing into it is fair to its existence. And in doing that, you've, you've created a product and it's, it, that's the way it is. It sucks. But fuck me. I did it. Fuck off. <laughs> I felt like I learned and like, I don't know, feel like a better person. I know that sounds fucking corny, but that's true. Well, let's talk again. I'd love that. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Dwyer. Please become a Patreon subscriber. Also, rate and review the show and tell your friends about the show. The best advertising and the best thing you could do to help me is tell people to listen to the show. Thank you very much, and have a good day.